Hey everybody. Hi everybody, how's it going? This is Hub and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Happy New Year everyone! Yes, a new calendar year has yet again told over? Yeah, those are words. Sure, the calendar year told over. I one time had a bit of aphasia when I was discussing calendars and could not remember what calendars were called, so I had to explain to my coworker that I needed to get a new, um, you know, it's like a menu, but for days and months. And they looked at me and said, calendar? And I said, yes. So having a new year toll over, comparatively, not so bad. I also one time was being interviewed for a radio show, and it was very early in the morning for me. And I couldn't remember what headphones were called, and I called them those hats for your ears. Also, perhaps most poetically, I periodically cannot remember what the word for aphasia is. So, there's that. Anyway, Happy New Year! Calendars are nice. I just got mine. If you can find one, I highly, highly recommend that for this year you use the 1979 Marvel Incredible Hulk calendar. I found a cheap one on eBay, and I think there are probably some more out there, and it is astounding, and all of the days and months line up. Uh, It has, like, the birthdays of everyone who worked at Marvel on it, and a weird little blurb about almost every day, which was a surprise for me, which also means I can't fill in events that I have upcoming. But it's really good and just beautiful art by a lot of people. So, yeah. That's my recommendation, the 1979 Incredible Hulk calendar. And as this is my favorite things episode, if you'll all look under your chairs... That's right, as a special present, I killed the monsters that live under your chair. You're welcome. Happy New Year! Well, enough of this malarkey, let's get into some different malarkey. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is by Brad Reed. It's a bit of speculative fiction about a character he invented called the Farmer of Evil. The Farmer of Evil will insult and mock rye, crack jokes about barley that would make a rock cry. So cruel is this farmer who has mastered the crop disc, like Hub with a combine. Let's reap a synopsis. Thanks, Brad. New Teen Titans, number 30, April 1983. Nightmare. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drotted by George Perez, inked by Romeo Tangal, colored by Adrienne Roy, lettered by Ben Oda, and edited by Len Wein. Teen Titan Roll Call Raven, Starfire, Robin, Beast Boy, Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, Cyborg, Speedy, Francis Kane, and Terra. Previously in the New Teen Titans. Way back in issue number eight, Cyborg met a pretty blonde headed special ed teacher named Sarah Sims. Over the course of their association, the mechanical marvel, or more specifically his writer, has vacillated on whether the nature of their relationship is romantic or platonic. Speaking of duos with nebulously defined dynamics, Kid Flash has been pestering Raven with his insistent pleas that they start dating. Raven has consistently rebuked the smitten speedster's entreaties, insisting that if she is unsuccessful in her continuing efforts to suppress all of her emotions, then there's a pretty good chance her asshole dad Trigon will climb out of her soul and eat the universe. That old excuse. Contemporary to the continuation of these crime-fighter non-couples, the Titan Tower has been hosting a trio of transient teen houseguests. 
Tara is a troubled teen who Beast Boy pursued both physically and romantically, gross, as she reluctantly went on a bank-robbing crime spree. When the amorous Emerald Adolescent finally captured his quarry, it turned out that the terraforming teen was coerced into crime by a team of terrorists who claimed to have kidnapped her father, the King of Markovia. The Titans teamed with Terra to trounce the terrorists, who revealed that they had been lying to the earthbending youngster and that her father had been dead this whole time. Bummer! Houseguest number two is Francis Kane, a currently homeless childhood chum of Kid Flash. Fran recently reacquired some unwanted magnetic powers and has come to the Titans for some advice. Houseguest the third is the Titans' old pal Speedy, an asshole archery aficionado who fits right in with the other male Titans, in that he also appears to have attended the Pepe Le Pew school of making unwanted sexual advances and not respecting boundaries. Unfortunately, our Titanic teens have more pressing concerns than their infestation of couch-surfing crime fighters. Ridiculous accent having no good next to Brotherhood of Evil have declared war on the sinister septicentennial cult leader Brother Blood's Church of Blood. Both bands of baddies want control of the Baltic island nation of Zandia and will stop at nothing to get it. But why should this fight between fraternally named fiendish former foes of the Titans affect our heroes? After all, the Brotherhood of Evil is, well, evil. And last time the gang tussled with Brother Blood, the surprisingly spry 700-year-old tortured Robin and used his media-savvy cat's paw, reporter Bethany Snow, to turn public sentiment against our heroes and make them look like irresponsible jerks. Well, in a twist on the old adage, sometimes it turns out that my enemy's enemy is still an asshole. The Brotherhood of Evil had some kind of a plan to kidnap Raven and use her as a weapon against the Church of Blood. The Brotherhood packed up their phonetically spelled out accents and headed to America to invade the Titan Tower and claim the Azerathian Empath as their prize. Kid Flash, Francis, and Speedy managed to thwart the Brotherhood, but not before Raven, under the hallucinatory influence of a fear-induced attack by Evilier Phobia, turned on Wally and used some kind of a soul attack on the surprise speedster. Having finally sensed the evil lurking within Raven that she had been trying to tell him about for the last year or so, Wally freaked out on the former object of his affection, calling her a monster. Aghast at her own actions and unable to face Kid Flash's horrified disgust, the distraught sexy druid bird teen teleported herself away to try to regain her composure, leaving Wally, Francis, and Speedy behind with a pile of unconscious supervillains to wonder, What happened? Gad Zooks! Where does a Nazarathian avian enthusiast go to clear her head and get away from it all? Will any more transient teens start crashing at the T-shaped hostel in the middle of the Hudson River? And will the Titans do something about that stack of sleeping bad guys they've got there? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so first a church, then the middle of Times Square at midnight on New Year's Eve. Amazingly, in this issue at least, no. And... You'd really think so, wouldn't you? But... Speedy, Wally, and Francis are hanging around outside the Titan Tower, amid the wreckage of their recent tussle, while the Brotherhood of Evil enjoy a pummeling-induced snooze. Kid Flash starts whining about how Raven is a creature of pure evil, which is partly because of the whole attacking him thing, but probably at least partly because she wouldn't do his homework for him last issue. Fran and Speedy tell the junior Wizard of Wiz to cut Raven some slack, seeing as how she was under the influence of a fear attack by Phobia at the time, and also has been very vocal recently about struggling to suppress the psychic influence of her father, the nigh-omnipotent, extra-dimensional douchebag Trigon, who I think lives in her tummy or something. Wally isn't hearing it. He's all like, Look, you guys can believe whatever you want, but when she was attacking me, I could sense that Raven was super evil and liked being evil and thought that evil was the best. And also she wouldn't write that book report about Joseph Campbell for me, which is also probably evil. And ouch! That last bit was because while Wally was whining, the Brotherhood of Evil woke up and started whooping the shit out of the heroes.
Oops. Plasmus KOs Speedy and Hoongan incapacitates Kid Flash. Phobia decides to let Fran off with a warning and a brief claustrophobia-themed spooking on account of Fran not being an official Teen Titan. Just to be safe, though, Hoongan steals a lock of her hair because A, Hoongan is kind of a creep, and 2, he might need to use his science-slash-voodoo powers to give Fran a bad knee later. Speaking of Hoongan and his ill-defined nonsense powers, the speedo-clad scientist informs his criminal cronies that he can sort of figure out the general area that Raven has fled to, so Warp fires up his full-body uncircumcised turtleneck and teleports them away in pursuit of the distraught druidic do-gooder. Across town, Terra has taken Beast Boy with her while she picks up a few things from the place where she had been staying. Gar makes fun of the young Earthbender by telling her that the place where terrorists had been holding her hostage while they threatened her already dead father's life isn't a very nice apartment. Sick burn, Garfield. Tara proudly displays the new costume she's been working on. It's fine, I guess. I mean, it doesn't have a mini Galactus helmet with a fake ponytail built into the cowl the way her old one did, but it's okay. Beast Boy likes it. Tara asks if she can officially join the Titans, and Gar tells her, I don't know, probably. I mean, your dad was a king, so you'd have something in common with the other three literal princesses on the team. They head back to the Titan Tower to discuss things with the rest of the team. Meanwhile, Robin and Starfire are meeting up with world's worst district attorney, Adrian Chase. It seems that Brother Blood's pet journalist, Bethany Snow, claims to have some important information that she needs to share with the Titans and Chase. Robin suspects that it might be a trap, so naturally, in true Teen Titan fashion, he decides that the best course of action is to walk directly into the likely trap while taking no precautionary measures whatsoever. boy. Snow greets the trio of trap trapesers in her TV station's dressing room and tells them that she doesn't like Brother Blood anymore. She found out that he's a real jerk and gives them some pictures she found of Brother Blood torturing the crap out of Robin. Starfire is aghast at the photos, but Robin does his best Batman-slash-Patrick-Swayze-in-Roadhouse impression and shoves off the torture session like it was no big deal. You know, because pain don't hurt none. Snow goes on to reveal that Blood's next big plan is to rig some upcoming congressional elections so that the politicians who will sell weapons to Blood and his puppet government in Zandia will be in power. Robin is still somewhat skeptical of Snow's sincerity, but then he hears a trigger about to be pulled. Boy Wonder leaps into action, tackling Snow to the ground, narrowly saving the disreputable journalist's life. The assassin manages to escape, but nobody was badly injured. Bethany thanks Robin for saving her life, and pleads with Chase to protect her from future attacks. She swears she will do anything to see that blood is stopped. She mentions that the reason Brother Blood needs weapons is to escalate his war with the Brotherhood of Evil, and, oh, by the way, the Brotherhood's plan is to kidnap Raven and somehow use her to steal Blood's power. Upon hearing that Raven may be in danger, Robin and Starfire vamoose back to the tower to check on their Azerathian chum. Speaking of chums, Vic Stone is headed uptown to deliver a Christmas present to his chum slash possibly more than a chum, no, probably just a chum, but maybe Sarah Simps. Vic is surprised when a dude answers Sarah's door, and not just because the dude in question is wearing a basketball jersey over a turtleneck, both of which are tucked into his jeans probably at least partly because of that. The fashion plate in question introduces himself as Mark Wright and says that he's heard all about Vic and that he is Sarah's fiancé, who she has never mentioned and who has been living in Washington for the last year, but now he's back. So there's that. Vic makes an excuse and leaves, more than a little bit shaken. Then he rips off his clothes and leaps back to the Titan Tower. 
fair enough. Meanwhile, world's worst district attorney Adrian Chase has just escorted an apparently shaken Bethany Snow from her TV studio back to her apartment. Chase tells the rattled reporter that he will enroll her in a witness protection program to ensure her safety. Snow thanks Chase and closes the door to her pad, where she is greeted by one of Brother Blood's acolytes who congratulates her on doing such a good job, saying exactly what Brother Blood told her to say. Snow laughs an evil laugh and says something about how stupid Chase and Robin are for believing her. Man, I hate to agree with an asshole like Bethany Snow, but yeah, pretty much. Back at the giant T-shaped skyscraper, all of the Titans except for Raven and Wonder Girl have gathered and filled each other in on recent events. Tara asks if she can join the team, and Robin is like, What? Oh, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. Just do whatever we tell you to do. Welcome aboard, Tara. To paraphrase a different team, hope you survive the experience. Oh, you know how I said Wonder Girl wasn't there? Well, that's because the Amazonian teenager is out on a fancy date with her not-at-all-creepy divorced college professor boyfriend, Terry Long. They go to the Rainbow Room. Oh, and if I haven't mentioned it yet, it's New Year's Eve. Meanwhile, in nearby, I think it's nearby anyway, St. Peter's Cathedral, Raven has taken refuge in the empty iconic church. She tearfully yells at some of the statues, asking them, Why come I can't have any emotions? It's not fair, and it makes me very sad that I'm unable to experience any emotion. Uh, yeah. So I guess Raven is part of the proud comic book tradition of characters like the Silver Surfer and Rom, who are very emotional about not having any emotions. Hooray! A dope older priest named Father Peter Mallory recognizes Raven from her being on TV and asks her if she wants to talk about her problems. Before the glum goth gets much of a chance to respond, she is startled by the sudden appearance of the Brotherhood of Evil. An uncharacteristically aggressive Raven is about to attack the Brotherhood, but Phobia is all like, Whoa, 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 what the fuck are you doing? This is a church. Knock off that fighting stuff in here. I mean, sure. We're vile, murderous fucks and all, but we're not blasphemers. Let's take this shit outside. Chastened, both by Phobia's reproach and by the recognition of her own willingness to resort to violence, Raven once again flees. The Brotherhood of Evil, but I guess not evil, evil, pursues her, leaving a confused Father Peter Mallory to ask prayerfully of a statue of the Virgin Mary. What happened? Amen, Father Pete. Amen. A few minutes later, the countdown to 1983 is about to begin. A huge crowd of revelers has gathered in Times Square to watch the ball drop and usher in a new year. As the illuminated globe begins its descent, the crowd excitedly counts backwards from ten. When they reach one, and the ball reaches its nadir, nothing happens. Huh. Well, that's anticlimactic. Seems like there's something wrong with that giant neon sign that's supposed to light up and display the words Happy New Year 1983. Why, it's almost as if... Oh, yeah, I see the problem. There's a... There's some kind of a sexy druid lady's enormous bird-shaped soul avatar lodged in that sign. Let's see if we can just pop that out of there, and... There we go. Sign's fixed. Happy 1983, everybody. So... Raven's soul jumps out of the Times Square Jumbotron. The Brotherhood of, I guess still pretty evil, even if they don't want to fuck up a church, teleport themselves to Times Square and start trying to grab her. The Titans, who had been watching events unfold on TV, show up and start fighting the Brotherhood. 
Cyborg Sonic punches Plasmus into bits. Beast Boy turns into a giant rabbit and hops up and down on Hoogan's head a bunch of times, which is probably the second best thing he's ever done, the best obviously being the hypnotic albino baboon incident. Wally scoops up an unconscious raven and starts to carry her to safety, and Francis uses some of her magnutiness to make some sewer pipes constrict around Phobia. Yes sir, things are going pretty great for the Titans. Until they aren't. Phobia uses her powers to make the New Year's Eve revelers attack the Titans, and Warp teleports in front of a zooming Kid Flash and uses his powers to send Raven to a special prison the Brotherhood prepared for her. With their goal accomplished, a battered but victorious Brotherhood of Evil teleport back to their headquarters in Zandia, leaving a horrified team of Titans in their wake. Wow. 1983 is off to a disturbing start for our teenage heroes. Raven's kidnapping has got to be the worst possible way to start off this year. Wait. Never mind. Terry just proposed marriage to Wonder Girl. Well, there's always 1984. Maybe that'll be the Titans' year. To be continued. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am well, sir. How are you? I am doing well myself. It is a Christmas day as we are recording this. Happy Christmas to you, Corey. Likewise. And uh, to all our listeners, I hope you have enjoyed or are enjoying the festive seasonal holiday of your choice. Indeed. Bon appetit. Buen borghetto. Oh! Zutalor! <laughs> <laughs> As this issue will be coming out, it will be uh, a few days into the new year of 2018, and it is fortuitous timing as this lines up with this issue's secondary, fourthiary, fifthiary thing that is happening, which is it being New Year's of 1983. Mm-hmm. So what'd you think of the issue? A lot going on. A lot of, a lot of words. Yep. A lot of pictures. Yep. A lot of action, sort of. Yep, there was action. Artwork is, as always, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I really enjoyed this issue. I, I think it's a fairly iconic issue for the new Teen Titans. It, it, it is, a, Terra officially joins the team. Mm -hmm. Donna and Terry officially get engaged. That was wise of him, too, to pick that, because it's going to be super easy to remember that date. Oh, totally. I thought you meant doing it in front of a big crowd so that she would be embarrassed into saying yes. Nope, I didn't think about that part. <laughs> I think I think it was all part of the scheme. Mm. That crafty man, that Terry Long. Yep. Crafty creeper. Yeah, it's funny because we've talked about a little bit the difference with their relationship being, you know, an unpowered guy and a superpowered sure. lady. Yet the way that he words things doesn't really take into account that there is any sort of power differential there. In fact, really traditionally, like he's says like i want to take care of you forever, yeah and blah 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 and it's like oh buddy she does, she probably doesn't exactly yeah need he, your help in that department. he definitely takes a paternalistic tone towards her which i think kind of highlights their age difference and yeah there's i mean there's a physical power differential between them obviously but i think in terms of there being a power differential in their relationship it still has very much I always read it as more of a, a professor and student basis of their relationship, which is part of what creeps me out about it. Yeah. Yep. That, yeah. That said, it was an otherwise sweet scene. They yeah. Went to a very fancy place. They yeah, put the on Rainbow some, Room. Some snazzy duds. Yeah, the snazziest man. Mm-hmm. It, it was pretty, pretty nice. It's, he spent a lot of money on that. 
I know. Like, that a, is a crazy fancy thing. He's a teacher. A, yeah, he's a professor, which they don't make a ton of money. He's got a daughter to support that apparently he doesn't spend a lot of times with. If not in terms of financial, he certainly seems to be an emotional deadbeat dad, doesn't hang out with his daughter very much, to mm. the point where his now fiance has met her only briefly and in passing, and his daughter doesn't really know who she is, which seems weird. Mm. But yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much what Donna's up to in this issue, is getting proposed to, and does she say yes? Uh, No, they just leave it. They at, just left, left it at the ring. Yep, putting the ring in her face and leaving it there. <laughs> just put the ring in her face and leave it there. Terry Long, proposal style. <laughs> right you are, it ends with a to be continued. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. Also, he spent so much money, that was probably his other strategy. Oh, yeah. She's going to be like, ah, oh, shit. I kind of yeah. got to say yes now. Ah, guilt and fear. Mm. The basis for any successful marriage. Mm-hmm. Sure. So congratulations, guys. So there's a lot going on in the issue. Let's get some of the bigger story beats out of the way. And then let's talk about some of the individual characters. So one of the main things that happens in this story outside of the engagement is that we find out a little bit at least theoretically, of what the nature of the conflict between the Brotherhood of Evil and the Church of Blood is. We do? Yeah. It's a struggle for the nation of Zandia. We have seen before that the Brotherhood wants to take over the nation of Zandia, and apparently, right now, the Church of Blood is in control of most of it. This is slightly suspect information, as it is revealed by Bethany Snow, who we know is an unreliable source of information because she purports to be leaving the church of blood after finding out what evil douchebags they are but in fact she's fine with what evil douchebags they are and is using this information to lure adrian chase and robin and starfire into some kind of a trap boo but it's a very complicated trap that part of it is her revealing a lot of true information. I don't really understand the nature of this trap. It's very complicated in probably a unnecessary way because... What? I mean, I'm just saying that if you're <laughs> trying to lure Robin into a trap, you could do it by posting a big sign that just says, trap this way. <laughs> and he would canonically just, well, all right, that's how we deal with these things. Yep. But instead she goes into almost a... Do you ever see that movie, The Game? With uh, Michael Douglas. I don't remember. I don't uh, think so. It's a very complicated game. Where movie. both. Oh. The movie is about a very complicated game that he is given as a as a gift. He is told that he is embroiled in this multinational imbruglio and murder scheme type thing. And then like all of the twists and turns. But then it was uh, turns out at the end it was all part of the game. That's a bad gift. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess he, he, he was a thrill-seeking multi-millionaire. So... What do you got, that guy? But a bad game. <laughs> yes. What an idiot. Yeah, but it had that kind of a that kind of a feel to it, where it's just like, oh, this is. There are so many moving parts, and Bethany Snow very could easily could have been killed if it wasn't for Robin's almost preternaturally good hearing. Because mm-hmm. seems like a lot to base that shit on, but I guess Brother Blood has his reasons. We see a little bit about the Brotherhood of. As I call them, the Brotherhood of Varying and Ill-Defined Degrees of Evil. Because, mm. for the most part, they're pretty evil. Wishy-washy, though. But yeah, there's a lot. In the last issue, they're like, well, Teed Titans, 
We don't care if we kill them. If we get to kill them on the way to doing this, all the better. And then in this issue, they have many opportunities to kill the Teen Titans and decline to do it, just because. Francis Kane is being confronted by Phobia, and Phobia's like, don't worry, we won't hurt you. You're not part of the Teen Titans, so we have no wish to harm you. And she says, well, I've never done anything to hurt you. Except in last issue when you threw a fucking coffee urn at the lady's head and knocked her out, which changed the whole tone of the battle. And really, she's kind of responsible for the Brotherhood losing last time. Like, she was there throwing metal shit at you dudes. Maybe she was just hoping that if she said it like that, they wouldn't remember. I think she might have been. I yeah. think Frances Kane is craftier than we sometimes mm -hmm. give her credit for. Sometimes that works, man. You just answer with confidence. Yeah. And people are like, oh, yeah, you didn't throw that coffee urn at my head magnetically <laughs> that's true that's a good drink thank you we see keeping in line with the brotherhood of maybe not so evil that when raven flees to a church they all pause and are like uh raven we followed you here but we don't want to fight in here we would never desecrate a holy place some highlander shit that it seems weird it seems like a weird choice maybe they're highlanders Ooh, off of their heads yeah man and then you get their powers yeah. And then you get their ridiculous accents. And then the frolicking. The frolicking. Can you feel it in your blood? The stag? <laughs> the stag. The frolicking. <laughs> Let's uh, run on the beach like that one scene in Rocky Three. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, we've had this debate already yes. on the show. Such good frolics both. That's good. It strikes me as odd. And Phobia is for the first time, like, previous to this, all the members of the Brotherhood are painted as just mustache-twirlingly evil, like reveling in evil. Like rolling around in evil like a dog who found a dead bird at the beach. They love evil, and they're super evil, and it's been really fun. And then in this, it's like, well, we don't want to have to hurt you unless we really need to, and we would never desecrate a place of worship. Okay, I know the Church of Blood is kind of a, a, a sham and a cult, but it's a 700-year-old church. People go there and worship there, and they wrecked the fuck out of that place and killed a ton of people inside of it. That was when they were having an evil day. Oh. So they, okay. It's the Brotherhood so you're of saying, Intermittent Evil, right? I believe so, unless maybe it's they get to be evil six days a week, and then they have a cheat day. <laughs> where they get to do good deeds. And that kind of moral confusion makes them that much more evil those other six days a week. I think they just like sit around and be like, yo, on Saturday, which charity are you going to give money to? <laughs> oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs> I've been making a list all week of the good shit that I have to do. I'm going to distribute toys to the needy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to also distribute food to the needy because I guess they don't want to eat just toys. Ah, that's so good of you. I know. <laughs> Everybody needs a cheat day. I love cheat day. <laughs> we also see Hoongan once again giving bad knees to people. I want to like him so much, but he's so lame. <laughs> he really doesn't do very much. He, we see another addition of his power is that in addition to being able to give people bad knees, which he gives Wally another bad knee, mm -hmm. and we reference the fact that one time he gave Beast Boy a bad knee, he can also use his fetish dolls to make very shitty tracking devices. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much it. He can put, spray gas on them. Oh, he sprays gas on people? I missed that. Like uh, poison gas. Like. For... Oh, did he spray it on the dolls? Yeah, he sprays it on the... <sighs> 
He's in the same room with the dude. He's like, I only have a very tiny amount of gas, so I'm just going to spray it on this doll instead of going over and like spraying it on, on you. He could just get some bigger needles and actually stab the person with the, in the knee. Wouldn't that be so much more effective? <laughs> and cooler looking. I have biologically programmed this doll to your cells, so I can stand ten feet away from you. <laughs> poke, poke. Got a cool headdress, though. He does have a cool headdress. He also... I know it'll come up later in at least one context, but he gets trounced in the best way possible, which is Beast Boy changes into a <laughs> green bunny. Not even a giant green bunny. Seems to be a regular-sized green bunny and repeatedly hops on his head yep. until he is unconscious. <laughs> Cute as knockout ever. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it is a fucking delight. There's another thing that happens. This isn't a major story beat, but there's a shot of the Brooklyn Bridge. And Marv Wolfman describes it as Several miles south stands the world-famous Brooklyn Bridge, sold to all too many unwary tourists looking for a Big Apple bargain. Mm. I don't think that's true. <laughs> it's something I've heard, like, referenced before. Like, maybe that happened one time. Maybe he's saying one is too many. But I don't think it's a thing where, like, a ton of tourists are dumb enough that they actually... A, have enough money that they believe they can buy the Brooklyn Bridge. And, like, is that an ongoing scam? It's not a traditional investment vehicle, either. No. Like, I have never heard, other than the context of, like, somebody being a rube, the expression, I got a bridge Bridge, to sell. Yeah, yeah. Bridge sales are not, like... It's not a... Yeah. I mean, maybe we could start it up. No, because... Portland is Bridgetown. There's a lot of bridges here. Yeah, that's true, but... There's not a lot of Marv Wolfman sales. So, That's like, true. Not There's gonna... not a lot of people we could sell that bridge to. And also, I mean, they're not toll bridges. So I guess like, what is the person going to think that they can do with it? Just like build a house? Put their name like, on it. my bridge. Got to mm-hmm. build a house right in the middle of it. Got to take the Corey Pretty Express. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, let's go through some of the Teen Titans and discuss what kind of issue they had here. Okay. So... We talked a little bit about Beast Boy. Let's let's start with him. He does some weird shit in this issue. Adorably, he does turn into a bunny rabbit and hop on Hoongin's head. Mm-hmm. That is definitely the highlight. He also, on the cover, turns into a koala. That is a very cute cover. It's a really cool cover. I really like it. It's Terra's making some kind of a wreath out of Earth that is around the Titan Tower and standing in the middle of it while everybody just poses on the dirt adorably. Mm-hmm. Pretty nice. Pretty I like it. It's almost like a season's greetings type thing. I don't know if it was intended as such, but it's a cool cover and a pretty iconic one. And uh, it just says, Terra joins the Teen Titans. So that's nice. Beast Boy is cagey. He has asked Terra to join the Teen Titans before. And then in this issue, she accepts Mm -hmm. after they go through their apparently daily, hey, let's talk more about the details of your dad's death because I think it's interesting and I don't want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So they go through that, and then she's like, but what I do want to talk about is, I think I'm ready to join the Teen Titans. And then he's like, I don't know, maybe you could join the Teen Titans. We'll see, it's pretty exclusive. I, I can't offer you membership. Everybody has to vote on it. Then they show up, and he's like, hey, Tara's joining the Teen Titans. I decided that she can. Mm-hmm. And everybody's fine with it. <laughs> I expected that to be more of a point of contention, but like Robin essentially just shrugs and is like, yeah, okay. Yeah, don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything stupid? I guess you're pretty good at earthbending, so, uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I don't know. Beast Boy is just probably trying to see if he could curry some favor with her in a gross way by... Yeah. 
He this. he seemed to put that off, and I had, I had high hopes because he didn't really harass her sexually last issue, so that was nice. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't most of this issue, but then at the end he throws in a like, we could just go upstairs and make out. Mm-hmm. It's like, God damn it, Beast Boy. She totally is just, just like, like shut just up. Like you're gross. Yeah, quit oh, it. knock it off. Yep. You're bad. But we do also see he is understandably impressed by her sewing abilities, but. I think that Beast Boy really needs to watch a certain Shanana PSA starring Bowser because he is of the opinion that macho guys can't sew. And do you remember this PSA that I'm talking about that starred Shanana in the early 80s? For those of you listening in, I'm giving Hub a blank stare. <laughs> As I imagine most of you are at home. Shanana was a 50s revival group that was started in the 60s by, as near as I can tell, a bunch of, even at the time, borderline middle-aged, like, dentists and shit. I think that's actually the case. I think at least one member is a retired dentist. But they they played at Woodstock, which is weird. Hmm. But then they kind of kept being somewhat part of the national conversation throughout, up through the mid-80s, I would say. And they did a series of uh, PSAs. The lead singer of the group is a guy named, who called himself Bowser, who wore a leather jacket and was tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, no relation to King Bowser from of Mario course. Brothers, yep. as near as I can tell. I figured. Part of their PSAs was, and I'm going to sing this because he sang it. If a girl can do it, a guy can too. You can do anything you want to do. Is that how he sounds? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> but because people were making fun of him because he was sewing, and he's like, hey, it's cool to sew. Whatever. Gender roles are unimportant. Mm. Dang. And I thought it was, like, pretty cool. Beast Boy could uh, take Beast a page. Beast Boy could take a page out of Bowser from Shanana's playbook. All right. Let's switch over and talk about Terra a little bit. Sure. She's really good at sewing, and she downplays that. She's like, anybody could sew. It's not a big deal. No, that's a professional-looking costume that George Perez drew. That is a difficult thing. There's, like, metallurgy involved because it's got these weird, like, utility bands and bracelets and fucking anklets and, like, thigh-high boots and shit. Like, that is an impressive fucking costume. You can't just sew that up. No, you gotta go to the store. Well, apparently not. She made it herself. She made two of them herself. Most people would have to go to the store. Right, right. Well, and also Beast Boy, I I notice, is still wearing his, his... Crime fighting costume is still his, he just stole from the set of his TV show. Which, I mean, good for him. Everybody gets their costume in a different way. But, uh, yeah, she really downplays that. Yeah, as I said, her joining is pretty anticlimactic. She does some good earth bending. I enjoy her, uh, for the most part, until he gets creepy, her interplay with Beast Boy. What are your thoughts on Terra? I like the kid. Yeah. I think she's all right. Yeah, she seems cool. She's very powerful, too. Very powerful. Well, yeah, like, her power is... I got confused when Frances Kane... The pipes. The pipes. When she had the sewer pipes come up and constrict phobia. Me too. I was like, oh, shit, can she just do metal, too? Like... Unstoppable. Man, she can, she can do a lot of shit. I wonder if she could have done that. I wonder if maybe she used her powers to help make that. I think it's like magnetism to be like, well, those pipes technically have earth bits in them. Well, iron is found in the ground. You mine for it. Therefore. Like, can she do metal bending too? Why not? I don't see why she couldn't. Maybe that's how she made her costume. Uh, Maybe it's just made out of dirt and she said that she sewed it. Because it's all earth tones and then gold bits. Oh, sneaky Pete. (laughs) Yep. Oh, Tara. That's probably why Raven doesn't trust her. Mm. Probably. 
let's talk about Raven a little bit. Oh, poor Raven. She's having a rough time. She makes some interesting choices. She saves New Year's. She does save New Year's. For the people of New York that want to party, man, that ball was not dropping and she caused it to drop. I didn't interpret it that Cheers, way. Cheers, Raven. <laughs> it was stuck. I don't think it was stuck. I think she was the one who was fucking up the clock. She was the reason why the image wasn't appearing. But when she, she popped like, out, it all happened and people were like, yay, New Year's. Yeah, I mean, that must have been a pretty impressive show. Mm-hmm. I also liked the priest that she meets in the church. He seemed rad. He's like, don't tell anybody, but sometimes I play video games. Probably Sword Quest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't but know like, why I gave him that voice. That was not a I good old priest can sound priest like voice. that. Yeah. Why not? Make him talk like, how did it go? <laughs> I'm an old priest. Yeah, I think that's a good voice for him. Okay. Yeah, I'm an old priest. Sounds I'm like also a... Rolf from the Muppet <laughs> that's Show. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I Rolf him. But I, li- I liked when he calls her Raven, and she's like, what? How did you know who I am? And he's like, you're famous. I read the newspapers and magazines. Also, sometimes I play video games and then I play the piano. <laughs> For those of you listening at home, Corey is making excited Muppet faces. <laughs> Ralph is great. Ralph is my favorite. But yeah, no, the priest is great. I thought it was interesting that she chose to go to a church. She's never shown any particular interest in christian religions before i mean she was azarathian and she likes to pray and meditate i think it was an interesting choice that she decided to go to a church when she was feeling overwhelmed and then that she decided to next go to the ball drop in times square seemed like a very odd choice for somebody who is trying to not be overwhelmed by the emotions of those around her yeah how did that so they i still don't understand what happened her out of the church and they chase her out of the church and she's like i know where i'll go I'll hide in that clock tower inside the sign and disrupt its electronics. Is there a big famous church that's in Times Square? She is in St. Peter's Cathedral. It is just a really weird choice for her to make. But it does put them in Times Square for the ball drop, which is interesting. It's where they needed to be for the New Year's issue. Yep, but she once again ends up getting captured by the Brotherhood of Evil, and this time it seems to take. Yeah, bummer. Let's talk about Speedy for a little bit. A very little bit. He doesn't do very much in this issue. He does come up with a couple of fun nicknames for Wally. You get to hear him we, say Flasher. And yeah, we haven't heard, heard that in years. For a while. And he has another one where he calls him like... Fleet Feet? He, well, yeah, he calls him Fleet Feet. I think he keeps trying out different nicknames for Wally because he wants to make sure that Wally doesn't get called Speedy, despite the fact that he is Speedy. Ah. Uh. That never made sense to me. No, it's confusing. But yeah, that's pretty much all he does. And he's like, so it seems like your defenses on this Titan Tower are pretty bad. Maybe you could get some, like, sentry robots? And everybody's just like, anyway, blah, blah, blah. So that's Speedy. Yep. Doesn't do a ton, but doesn't do bad and doesn't really harass anybody. He was inoffensive in this issue. Yeah. So So good job. Yeah. Step in the right direction. Credit where it's due. Robin and Starfire. Ugh. Robin. Robin kind of cracked me up in this one. He's such a jerk. He's a jerk, but in a way, this this issue, there's one specific moment where, like, they're looking at pictures of him being tortured by Brother Blood, mm-hmm. which we saw, and it was like, damn, that's some intense shit. Bethany Snow, in her attempt to convince the Titans and Adrian Chase that she's on their side, gives over these pictures. Coriander looks at them. Apparently, he never said anything to her about being tortured. 
And she's like, I, I never knew you went through this. You could have died. And his whole response is just like, I didn't. <laughs> Full to total Dalton. Yeah. Yeah. Pain don't hurt. I, for some reason, that really cracked me up. And I was like, that was, was kind of cool. Like, it's not cool. It's not, because it, she was but that shit. Out. I know, and that shit that he learned from Batman, clearly. What I did like about them is as soon as they found out that Raven was in trouble, they're like, whoop, let's go. It did remind me again, like, oh, that's right, early 80s, nobody had cell phones. Uh, even superheroes had no way of communicating with each other. That is the first that they had heard that the Brotherhood spent the whole last issue traveling to them and attacking them and attacked them twice in this issue without Robin and Starfire even knowing about it. Damn. So that was interesting. So how else was Robin a dick in this issue? Are you just mostly thinking about that thing? Or uh, like when Tara joins the team and he's just like, don't fuck anything up. Yeah, throughout the whole issue, he's, I mean, he is, does have that leadership style of just telling people what to do without being nice about it. But also at I, the end, when Starfire flies off to save the day or, or whatever, the last thing he says to her is like, don't do anything stupid, Starfire. Yeah, For yeah. For what reason? They're really playing up he's being a dick because he's overworking himself and is distracted, which I, I like that they're maintaining that story beat, but I, I don't like seeing it. You know what I mean? But yeah, he's continuing to be a dick, or continuing to be dick, as it were. Starfire is continuing to be pretty great and pretty powerful. She doesn't do a great job in this issue, just in terms of the bad guys get away in a way that isn't really explained. They blow some shit up, and she gets caught in the explosion in it. Yeah, and then he won't let her go after them. He doesn't seem to have a lot of confidence in her, which is shitty, because she's rad. Yep. Let's talk about Kid Flash for a little bit. Okay. Man, fuck that guy. Because <laughs> he's mad about Raven? Yeah. I wrote down, God damn it, Wally, she is not responsible for your feelings. And then I wrote, anymore. Because <laughs> initially she did manipulate his emotions <laughs> to make him be in love with her. That is true. But, so I was like, okay, I guess I'll cut him a little bit of slack on that. But, like, he's being such a, like, registered trademark nice guy. In this issue. The, like, oh man, if I hang around and she'll totally be in love with me. And now she's not, so now I'm mad at her and I hate her. Well, also, he was like, holy shit, she went inside my soul and tried to rip it out. And it was really fucking scary. And I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, like, there's, she did tell him what happened. He has enough context to know what was going on in that situation. And he's not listening to the people around him who are just like, no, she really didn't want to do that. And then she tried to, to make it right afterwards. And she was horrified at what she had done. And he's just not listening. Well, sometimes it takes a little time to get over a, a trauma. Yeah, I guess. But he's still a dick about it. I guess the blame here has to be split at least three ways between Francis and Wally and Speedy. But the fact that they just let the Brotherhood hang out there in in their temporarily knocked out form and waited for them to recover while they just sat around talking about, I think Raven's a jerk. I don't think she meant to be. I hate her. She's evil and she wants to murder me. I don't know. Well, fucking Plasmus is slowly thawing out. Mm -hmm. I know. I and it goes so... Like, the whole time I'm like, you guys, you guys. They're waking up. Come on. I Like, I ended the last issue synopsis by saying, you might want to do something with that pile of bad guys that you've got there. They did not take your advice. No, they didn't. And I guess Kid Flash does, like, 
at the end, he, he flip-flops again and tries to rescue Raven and says, like, you know what, I guess I still love her. Okay, whatever. I'm mad at Wally. I can tell. Not impressed. Not impressed at all. Cyborg. Oh, Vic Stone. Poor Vic Stone. Yeah. I feel bad for him. I do, too. I'm annoyed at Marv Wolfman for this, because that is clearly a twist that was not intended at the beginning. There were no hints or anything that Sarah was... You can make it that she's not interested in him anymore, and she started dating somebody else because he was so wishy-washy about whether or not he wanted to date her for a year. That's perfectly reasonable. But to make her have been engaged to somebody else who was living away this whole time and not having mentioned it to him, which regardless of the fact that they may or may not have been dating, it seemed like they were and then they backtracked on that, possibly because they didn't want to have an interracial relationship. They were at the very least close friends. I think she would have mentioned, it would have come up that she had a fiancé. Yeah, I think they were just trying to back it out. And... Yeah, his reaction to it, I like that he says he's not mad at her, but that he's mad at himself for thinking that there could have been something between them. He uses a weird expression when he's leaving and he's kind of beating himself up. Yeah. About thinking that freaks can jump over, jump higher than a rainbow. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. <laughs> Is that a thing that people used to say in the 80s? Or Corey, they just... said it all the time. I know rainbows were worth. Rainbows are Pretty very popular. popular, very popular, both in suspender form and in actual rainbow form. Yeah, so just jump that rainbow, man. Man, jump, just, jump higher than that rainbow. God damn it. I know you're a freak, but sometimes freaks can jump higher than a rainbow. It's like he was talking to Macho <laughs> Man Randy Savage. <laughs> he can jump very high, too. I, I met Cyborg, but also, also <laughs> Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can jump higher than that rainbow and give you an atomic elbow from off of the top of that rainbow. Cocaine strengthened legs. Oh, boy. Ah, uh, yeah, not as reliable as sea strengthened legs. <laughs> not so but much. Yeah, I enjoyed that turn of phrase as well. What did you think of Sarah's apparent, I started to call him her, her new fiancé, but her apparent uh, been her fiancé for over a year, Mark. Hmm? What do you think of Mark? He's the fiancé. He greets Vic at the door. Oh! We were just talking about Special Olympics guy. (laughs) Yeah. He's got a name, Corey. And it's Mark. (laughs) Seems fine. I disagree. I disagree for a couple of reasons. I think he's being super passive-aggressive with Vic. I think he's playing up the idea of... I think it's the equivalent of people who are like, Oh man, I don't even see race. Is... Is Vic Stone a black guy? I didn't even notice about the, oh, you must be Victor. I didn't notice the half of your face that's metal at first. Oh, right. Because, yeah. <laughs> that is a weird thing to not notice. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm robot blind. I don't even see these differences. Mm-hmm. Aren't I enlightened? That's one possible interpretation. Or the other possible interpretation is, and this comes up again in the issue, that despite the fact that he is half made of metal, Victor Stone's master status and what makes him unusual in this comic book is that he is black. Mm-hmm. And that that is perhaps what Mark was like, oh, uh, yeah, I guess he's made out of metal. I just think of him as that black guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is how Plasmus also refers to Cyborg at the end of the issue is like, I want to destroy the black one. 
Oh, really? It's like, dude, he's I... also half metal. That seems like it would be a more identifiable distinguishing characteristic. Holy shit, I somehow missed that. So Hoongan says, beautiful phobia. With luck, the crowd will destroy them. And Plasmus responds, if they do not, I will. I do not want to leave now. The black one is mine. Damn. Yeah. He sounds Russian. Yeah. I don't know how to do his accent. But it's so well written. <laughs> it's really confusing. Especially when it's just one word. At one point, you think, I think he just says, There! <laughs> you <laughs> should just D-E-R-E. go back to the Jamaican yeah, thing. I should not. I should not do a Jamaican patois. Oh, Although totally. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You know who we need to talk about? Frances Kane. Okay. She, she does a great job. Yeah, good job, Frances. Yeah. She talks again about the fact that she doesn't really want her powers and she thinks Wally's like that. We've been over my issues with that. She says that they should just move back to Blue Valley. Is she proposing that she move into Wally's house or does she think they should go live with her evil mom who kicked her out of the house? Is he from there too? Yeah. That's where they grew up together. I don't know. It seems weird. Like, I mean... Where does she think they're going to live? Maybe she thinks they'll be roommates. Oh, like roommates with benefits? Well, I, don't I think know. she likes Wally. She's said Probably. that before. Yeah. She's in love with him, so yeah. I don't know. She's like, yeah, let's go. You can let's be go my roommate. Let's go with each other. See what happens. Yeah, you know, maybe stuff. Maybe stuff will happen. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Hmm? You got super speed. I got magnetism. We can make anything happen, and then we can whine about the fact that we don't want it to. Yeah, but she does a good job moving metal stuff around. Before we saw that she could move like, maybe like a, was it like a a motor or something? Mm-hmm. And this issue, she's, yeah, like pulling pipes out of the ground and wrapping them around people. She's doing her like, I never tried to hurt you, phobia thing. Mm-hmm. She overcomes her greatest fear, which is apparently not snakes, but oh. colostrophobia. One of, colostrophobia? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's fear of having bad cholesterol well, in small places. Good for that. Yeah, yeah. Um. I had the thought that if she had just squeezed Phobia unconscious or even dead, yeah, it would have solved all of their problems. And she could have kept doing that after the crowd started attacking. Yeah, and once she, I did, mean, I'm not saying they... she should necessarily kill, but I bet she could. She could knock a lady out. Once done, no more angry. You don't even like you're holding her in place with the pipes. Maybe also bring a coffee or an over beaner over the noggin again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plenty. Yeah, but she did a pretty good job in this issue. I was I was pretty pleased with her performance. Yeah, and I think that's all the Titans. There was one thing I wanted to bring up real quickly. We see Tara's old apartment, which Beast Boy makes fun of. Mm-hmm. Which she was like, um, I was held hostage here. He's what a- the fuck, dude. But we see that the way that it is decorated leads me to believe that the people who were holding her were not actual terrorists, but were like Hans Gruber from Die Hard terrorists. <laughs> because first of all, we see that they were just using her to rob banks and shit so that they would have money. But then their decorations just seemed to be like random words that in the early 80s were associated with terrorism. Like they just had a bulletin board that just said political prisoners. And then said Libya. And then said PLO. And it's like, okay. There's one fire um, that just said kill. Yeah, and there was one that just said kill. It led me to believe that they were like like Hans Gruber in Die Hard, where like he's like, and we want the political prisoners from the Golden Dawn. 
And then it, it like covers up the phone and is just like, I read an article about them in Newsweek. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what they were doing. I think they were just like, they didn't know a ton about terrorism, but they just heard some terrorism associated buzzwords. Mm-hmm. And so made a weird kind of racist collage on their wall. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to bring that up. Boo. Agreed. You ready to get into the minutia? Let's. All right. Hit it. Rick. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Indeed. Thank you. So what do you want to hit first? Sounds. All right. What was your favorite sound effect? Pam, pam, pam. Which is the noise <laughs> that it makes when Beast Boy is a tiny green rabbit hopping up and down on Hoongan's showgirl headdress. That's exactly it. Pretty great. I also had that. There was also a pretty good ba-wham-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma on page nine. Oh. Which I liked. I believe that was the noise of the fake assassination attempt on Bethany Snow. I had a similar uh, backup, which was the Brambalam. Brambalam's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That sounds like that might have been something that Sha Na Na would say. That might have been one of their lesser known hits. Brambalam. 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 Yeah. <laughs> pretty good. Not bad. Yeah. Moving along, did you have a show and tell or a timestamp? I had a show and tell. What was your show and tell? Oh, show and tell was when Phobia is getting imprisoned by the pipes coming out of the ground and she says pipes coming out of the ground wrapping around me how could this be possible fair enough i had a timestamp that was kind of a cheat because we literally see the time and date stamped on this mm. it is when the ball drops on new year's eve in times square and we see the literal countdown but the timing on it is really weird and there was also a phrase that really really amused me in it which was The newscaster. Well, the excitement is building down there, Jane. You're right, Dick. In fact, the countdown has already begun. Everyone's having a ball tonight. And then we cut back to Jack, and he says, And speaking of balls, (laughs) when our golden ball descends, that sign will officially light up the new year. Now, what's interesting to me about that is the fact that they give a, a time signature as each of these things are said. When she says everyone's having a ball tonight, it is 11.58.01. When he says, and speaking of balls, it is 11.59 and 15 seconds. So there is a minute gap after she says the word ball. Well, he is trying to think of a good segue and eventually he comes up with speaking speaking of of balls. Yeah, well. So... That was my timestamp. And like I said, it's kind of a cheat because it's a very literal timestamp. But uh, it pegs it as 11.59 and 15 seconds on December 31st, 1982. Not bad. Let's take this party to the Bozone. What instance of a character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to comment upon? I am so glad that Tara is with us because she has consistently delivered the bozo. Bozo! She delightfully and accurately calls Beast Boy a bozo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I wrote, Tara is the gift that keeps on giving. Nice. (laughs) 
it's very odd to me because it seemed to me like somebody at some point told Marv Wolfman after the first couple issues of this comic book, you know, the kids really aren't saying bozo anymore. You should probably do something about that. And he took that as like, oh, right, they're too old to say bozo. That's more of a cool young teen thing. <laughs> and so then they bring in a 15-year-old and she's like, oh, yeah, she's going to say bozo. So, yeah, I like that. That's a good hypothesis. That's my hypothesis. What was your favorite panel? It just keeps coming back, but... <laughs> bam, bam, bam! <laughs> I had I had that one as well as one of them. I also really enjoyed the claustrophobia panel of phobia freaking out Francis. It paints Francis in this tiny box inside of the black expanse of the that column of the page. Yep. Um, and it's artsy. really cool looking, really artsy, nice page layout. I also had kind of a minor one that's on page 13 when it is revealed that Bethany Snow is playing the Titans. She goes inside of her apartment, and then we see that I think Mother Mayhem or one of the other acolytes of Brother Blood is there. And she is leaning against a bejeweled fireplace, drinking a glass of champagne. Mm -hmm. And then when we cut back to Bethany Snow, we see that her hands are covered in rings. There's just a lot of bejeweled bedazzlement going on in this opulent media mogul's apartment, and, and I enjoyed that. And I like that the acolyte just poured herself a glass of champagne. Yeah, well... Yeah, party down. New yeah, Year's. time to party. It's evil time. It's New Year's Eve. Yeah, let's get the show on the road. I also like that Bethany Snow's show is called Snowstorm. I know. I could totally hear this like 80s announcer voice and yeah. music with that. And then like the Geraldo music under it. It's yeah. Synthesizer kind of thing. Pretty good. Pretty good. Sartorially speaking, there is a lot to talk about in this issue. There sure is. What fashion choices would you like to comment on? I had three main things. One is I like the outfit that Borgie chooses when he goes on his unfortunate house call. Right, present delivery. Mm -hmm. It's a good look, though. It was a good look. And then, so let's talk about the look. It, it is, reminded me, actually, a lot of Jack Norris's look in the last Defenders issue. Different colors, but still turtleneck, slacks, and a trench coat over it. Mm -hmm. But a red trench coat. Yeah, red trench coat and... Unusual. What was... what Was it a blue turtleneck? Yeah, it's a blue turtleneck, brown pants, and a red trench coat. And it is a tight look, which he then, as he leaves, he's upset. So he just rips all of his clothes off when he jumps over the building to go back to the Titan Tower to check if everything's okay. Do you think there was actually a literal distress signal that he received? Or was he just making an excuse because he really wanted to leave? My initial assumption was he just made it up, but then it turned out there was one. Yeah. I wonder if he actually received a distress call or if he was just like, oh, my internal sensor's going off. I've got to go. I bet he does that all the time. I would. Yeah, me too. But yeah, good outfit. I was like very wasteful the way that he just rips it off and leaves it on the ground. That's normal though. So that he can just leap naked. When you get real mad, isn't that what you do? Sometimes. <laughs> it's why I'm... Off, jump over a building. <laughs> jump over a rainbow. Yeah. I'm kind of a freak that way. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm not allowed in a lot of places. <laughs> Oh, that guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hide your rainbows, here he comes. Other fashion choices. We've got Terra's new look. I think it's a good look. Very similar to the last look in terms right, of color scheme. but no Galactus hat, which I fucking miss. I wish she yep. had a Galactus hat. I wish she had the built-in ponytail. I think maybe she was saying, if I'm going to be a Teen Titan, I need to get worse at secret identities. So I got to get rid of this ponytail yep. headdress. But it's a cool look. I like it, and I'm impressed that she made it herself. Yeah, Even good. if it is really made out of dirt and, dirt and glitter. Dirt and glitter. 
but it's a good good costume. It is. The main thing I want to talk about, though, is Mark Wright's outfit. Who you keep forgetting who Mark Wright is. Oh, Special <laughs> Olympics. Okay. Now, we find out that he met Sarah when they were doing work together with children with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And that he was an organizer for the Special Olympics, mm-hmm. which is driven home by the fact that he is wearing a basketball jersey that says Special Olympics on it in a very plain sans serif font. Mm-hmm. He is wearing that Special Olympics basketball jersey over a three-quarter sleeve turtleneck. That's just a weird look. <laughs> it is a weird look. Yeah, I just think that is a very strange choice it is a weird looks like he made it himself special olympics basketball jersey that as i said he wears over a three-quarter sleeve turtleneck Mm -hmm. that's the main thing that's it i don't know what else to say about it but strange look buddy strange look indeed last thing i wanted to touch on was for terry's big night he really dressed it up good he did man does he have some pink ruffles going on he does it's it's Kind of reminiscent of Nighthawk's outfit. White mm-hmm. tuxedo jacket with a pastel-colored ruffled shirt under it. Mm-hmm. That's that's how you go when you go big. Mm-hmm. So Go big or go home. Yep. Also, I actually really liked Fran's outfit when she showed up at the end to save the day. It's like a almost a white jumpsuit with like calf-high pink boots. Oh, yeah, those boots. And it's just, it's a cool look. Black pants and like a white windbreaker with a pink belt and uh, pink calf-high boots. It's... Pretty cool. It's a pretty cool, pretty 80s superheroic look. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. Good. Corey. So in this issue, as every issue of a Teen Titans comic, there is an Aqualad, the best of Teen Titans, and a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who is your Speedy? Initially, I was thinking, well, I know we don't want to get people in trouble for circumstances beyond their control necessarily but like a lot of bad shit was happening because of raven and then she got herself captured but she also saved new year's yeah so she's out of the running fair enough you save new year's you're free and clear good to go yeah i also had i'll just if we're eliminating people beast boy kind of a jerk kept hitting on tara turned into a bunny rabbit and hopped on hoongan's head he can't be the worst he can't be the worst (laughs) I really did not like the way that Robin is treating Starfire and continues to treat her and that the last thing he says to her as she flies off to do something heroic is not to be stupid or don't do anything stupid. Yeah. So I gave him the vote. I think that's fair. I went with Wally for reasons that I already discussed. I don't like his wishy-washiness. And yeah, as I said, like, you're holding somebody else responsible for your emotions, which, I mean, granted she was at one point, so that does muddy the waters a bit. A wee bit. But... Fucking, I was annoyed by that. And also, bad job, like, fucking round up those bad guys while they're unconscious. Like, tie them up. Something. Somebody should have done it. Yeah. And he was one of three people there for that that could have. My other gripe with Robin is that on page 22, he does a terrible punch. And he's supposed to be, like, a trained... He's a good, good puncher. A trained martial artist. Let's take a look at that punch. His hands all corkscrewed, jacked up, almost upside down. Do you think maybe he was doing the Popeye thing where you twist it around like seven times and then when you release it, it's like... No. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, that is a terrible punch. He's just doing a bad job. So bad punch job, Robin. Yep. Bad relationship job, bad punch job. Yeah, why don't you send away to Count Dante and learn how to do shit right? Most dangerous person we got. Yep. Conversely, who was your Aqualad this issue? Who was the best that the Teen Titans had to offer? Well... 
if I had to fight a giant scary blob of protoplasm and I had a sonic disruptor, I would totally punch it into him and explode him with that. Which is what Cyborg did. He did a very good job. And that's why he's the best. I went with Francis Kane for reasons that we already discussed once again, but I totally know where you're, what you're talking about with Cyborg. And not only does he do a good, good job of sonic punching the Pizza the Hut looking motherfucker, but he says cool shit while he does it. Schwein! You'll never learn, do you? You cannot stop me with a punch. <laughs> and Cyborg goes, really? You mean I can't do this? And then he punches him and then turns on the sonic disruptor thing after he punches him and says, good thing you told me, gruesome. Now I'll know never to try it. I wouldn't want to waste a perfectly good sonic blaster attack now, would I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> My insides! Ach, ach, what are you doing? <laughs> Failing to stop you. Isn't that what you said would happen? Oh, boy. Burn. Keep sassing him as you punch fucking Grimace from McDonald land into a, into a big pile of pink specks. Gross. Yep. Job well done. Job well done. Well done, Cyborg. As I said, still going to Francis Kane slightly mm-hmm. because she didn't waste a perfectly good outfit by ripping it and then trying to jump over a rainbow. <laughs> Can you blame the guy? A little bit. It's a good outfit. Okay. You just... Take it with you, man. You can have Tara sew it back up for you. She's an amazing seamstress. Okay, okay. Well, I believe that is all of the main character, Corey's, but I am left with but one question, Corey. Mm. Wapoot! Indeed. What is Aqualad probably up to in the year of our Lord, 1983, and the month of our Lord, April? Wapoot! So, as we may or may not know, Aqualad is not a fan of the Cold War, no. the increasing scariness of the arms race. Um, heard about uh, SDI, the Star Wars thing. Yep. Feels a little bit responsible. Feels a little bad about it. And so he hears that that there's going to be an event in uh, England. And so he swims all the way there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he joins a group of people that created a 14-mile-long chain of human beings by linking their arms to, to protest uh, nuclear oh. armaments. Yeah, you get some sea strength and limbs in that, uh, yeah. in that arm linking. Yeah, so, I mean, Pretty tame, good. a little bit tame by his normal standards, but he just wanted to go do a, a good thing. It was his... His cheat day of, of not doing evil things. Oh, he's got a cheat life of not yeah, doing evil things. Yeah, I know things. he does. It's like, maybe once in a while he'll get possessed by an evil Scottish fisherman or something. That only happened once, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's just the one he time. cheat on a test once or twice. But, yeah. You know, that's yeah, kind of minor. That was really more Aquaman. That was. So. Yeah, well, I, I think that it's good that he took part of the month off because he had a pretty busy month other than that. Mm. See, early in the month, he was one of 20 tourists visiting New York City. Not buying any bridges, mm. but watching David Copperfield make the Statue oh, of Liberty oh. disappear. Yep. And he was super into that shit. And he was like, how did you do that? How? How? And so he's, he ended up, you know, he's a bit of a celebrity. Sure. Not to toot his horn. But he ended up chatting up David Copperfield afterwards and was like, how did you learn to do magic like that? That's amazing. It's so good. And David Copperfield, he didn't certainly reveal his secret of how he made the Statue of Liberty disappear. But he's like, well, you know, I started small. I started off doing some coin tricks and learned from there and just start getting a couple of small tricks down and just really master them. And so Aqualad, he's a very enthusiastic young man. Mm -hmm. He is a man of many virtues and many skills. Amongst them is not 
deception. So he was not particularly good at sleight of hand magic. He he kind of like would gild the lily a bit and would like pay more attention to the like, and now if you'll all just look over there, mm-hmm. doing that kind of a distraction, but he still got very, very popular doing these coin tricks. Do you know why? Why? Because he just brought a bunch of Spanish doubloons that he found on the ocean floor uh... because he didn't think of them as being a big deal because they're fucking everywhere in Atlantis. Mm-hmm. So he's distributing all of these rare and valuable coins to people mm-hmm. as he's doing his really terrible magic. Mm. Uh, but he gets a bit of a following that way. And these coins, they become a bit of a, a bit of a thing in the national zeitgeist. And so on April 15th, I believe it was, they declared it the first ever National Coin Week. for the United States. And a few weeks after that, England released the first pound coin. And all of this was started because he developed an interest in magic when he watched David Copperfield make the Statue of Liberty disappear. A plus. Yes, he did a great job. Nice work. Well, happy newest of year, everybody. It's the newest one we've got, and we're glad to be spending it with you guys. Yeah. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com for all of your contacting us needs. If you would like to give us some money, you can do that at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland for all your giving us money needs. If you would like to support us in a non-monetary manner, you can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice and just generally telling people that you like us, if you like us. If you feel otherwise, shut up. No need. Keep it to yourself, man. Say nice things. Yeah, just say nice things. Hey, there's a secret. You don't even have to mean it. Mm -hmm. So, thanks in advance for lying about us and (laughs) saying that we're good. Um, Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed recording this issue with you, Corey. Likewise. Yeah. Cheers. And here's reminding you, be a freak and jump over that rainbow. (laughs) Hold on, give me a minute. Okay. Speaking of balls. <laughs> oh, well done. Thanks. And they knew it. And they knew it. Let's go. Let's. Butts? Did you just say No, butts? I didn't say butts. We can talk about butts. Are there butts in the issue you wanted to talk about? No, I just thought you, you No, said... I said let's, oh. and then uh, I, I stopped talking because I couldn't remember what I was going to say. Okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs>